Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. Now indeed, we can look all around the world. There is now well over 100 services operating and there has never been anybody die from an overdose in a supervised injecting facility and there have been tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of injections all over the world in supervised injecting facilities and nobody ever dies of an overdose. Medically supervised injecting centres have been proven to be an effective way of preventing deaths from drug overdoses and helping people to access safe injecting equipment and support services. Late last year, a trial of a medically supervised injecting centre for North Richmond in Melbourne was announced by Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews and is due to start in June this year. This week on Women on the Line, we hear from Dr. Marianne Jauncey, the Medical Director of the Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre in Kings Cross, Sydney, Jane, a drug overdose peer educator at Harm Reduction Victoria, and Judy Ryan from Victoria Street Drug Solutions, a residence group which has advocated strongly for the trial centre in Richmond. Women on the Line spoke to Dr. Marianne Jauncey late last year, shortly before the trial centre in Melbourne was announced. My name is Dr. Marianne Jauncey. I'm the medical director of a service that's known as the Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, and that's the only service of its kind in this country. Actually, at the moment, still the only service of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And could you tell us a bit about the Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, um, which is in King's Cross in Sydney, so what it is and how it works? So the Uniting MSIC, as we call ourselves for short, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, is a supervised injecting facility. So I guess that's what makes us unique. That is that a piece of legislation at a state level in New South Wales has been amended in order for us to operate legally. So all over this country for about 30 years, in every state and territory of Australia, we have been providing clean injecting equipment knowingly to people who inject drugs. And we've been doing that because of the public health imperative to prevent an epidemic of HIV AIDS amongst people who inject and amongst the broader community. But the reality of that is that all over this country, in thousands of different um, settings, we provide clean injecting equipment and then we tell people to go away. So what makes my service so unique is it's the first time in Australia, indeed, when we opened in 2001, it was the first time in the English-speaking world that the law was changed so that rather than just providing clean ejecting equipment and then inevitably telling people to go away and inject somewhere else that inevitably was going to be more unsafe and at risk and without potentially anyone there to help in the event of an overdose or other um, problem occurring, for the first time we were able to say, here is a clean injecting equipment and, and come in. Do that here. We know you're going to do it. And instead of sort of burying our heads in the sand, we acknowledged the reality of the situation and said, please come here. The reason that happened was because of a a very clear, striking increase in the number of people that were losing their lives to heroin overdose. So back in 1999, which was the year of of the drug summit in New South Wales, there was actually more people dying from an accidental overdose on heroin than there were people dying of motor vehicle accidents. That's an extraordinary statistic. More than three people every day were dying from an accidental overdose of heroin in 1999. And I think there was a a clear understanding both within 
the media and the general community, but also importantly within government, that this was an absolutely unacceptable situation that couldn't continue. And so um, in the lead up to a state election, there was a, a particular photo that appeared in the, in the paper. And as a response, the then Premier said, if re-elected in May, I will hold a bipartisan drug summit and I'll bring experts from all different fields from all over the country and all over the world together to try and look at the, the complexity of this problem and make some changes. And so he was re-elected, the drug summit occurred, and there was a number of resolutions that came out of that, and probably the most controversial of the recommendations was the opening of our service, and that occurred two years later in 2001. Maybe to backtrack a little bit, could we perhaps talk about what the main goals are in terms of having a medically supervised injecting centre? What, what has the impact been on both drug users and the local community from the establishment of the Sydney MSIC? So the impact of the service, as you say, have been both on the community of people who use drugs, but importantly also on the local community. And the effects have been beneficial for both of those groups of people. So for the people who use drugs, there's some pretty obvious benefits. They are no longer needing to use drugs um, in a public space, in a hurried way, often in somebody's backyard, in a back alleyway, between parked cars, in somebody's doorway. That's obviously a benefit to them as well as to the local community. The fact that people are using drugs where there is immediate access to medical intervention means that these people are no longer dying of overdose. There's been an 80% reduction in the number of ambulances called out for accidental overdose in the King's Cross community. And so we know all over the world we've been able to show time and again that these are a very effective way, you know, a local solution to a local problem. And they're a very effective way to reduce people dying. The reality is when you use heroin or any other opiate drug, the way you die is simply because your brain forgets to remind you to breathe. And so you stop breathing. There's nothing else fancy in terms of toxic effects on your heart or your liver or any other um, part of your body. You literally just stop breathing. And so if somebody is there and it's not left to somebody recognising and realising what's happening and calling an ambulance and the ambulance getting there in time, instead, if you stop breathing and you're in a supervised injecting facility, there is immediately somebody who is trained to recognise and respond. And that means they intervene immediately. There is no delay. And when they intervene, they intervene effectively because they've been specifically trained. And so there should not be injuries or deaths associated with overdose. Women on the line. I understand in the Sydney MSIC as well, it's um, I think just under 6,000 overdoses that have been successfully treated. So it's now over 7,000. So obviously those numbers keep going up depending on where we sort of put the line and count up to. So I was literally just looking this morning. So we're now over 7,400 overdoses and over a million injections. And again, because you've got trained staff, the person is never alone. If they overdose, they are immediately recognised and there is immediate effective intervention and the provision of oxygen. And then if necessary, the provision of something called Narcan or naloxone, which is basically a a heroin antidote or an opiate antidote and reverses the effects of the opiate so that somebody wakes up. And 
To move things towards the broader political outlook, there were 34 heroin-related deaths in, in Richmond alone in Melbourne in 2016 and 190 heroin-related deaths in Victoria in total. I mean, do you have any thoughts about a tough-on-law and order approach and the impact of this kind of policy in terms of health outcomes for drug users? I mean, it seems that drug use and addiction are very complex and multifaceted. What, what does an evidence-based medical perspective suggest works best in terms of protecting people's lives? I guess the first thing to say is that actually, regardless of your politics, your background, your evidence, your views of drug use or drug users, I think it's fair to say none of us want to see people dying and all of us want to see people getting into treatment services where they need it. All of us want that. There's actually a lot of overlap in terms of where we're heading to. Where there becomes disagreement is in terms of how we best get there. But it is worthwhile to to acknowledge and to recognise that we all actually genuinely want the same thing. We want people who need access to treatment to be able to get access to that treatment and have the funded treatment places available for them to get into. And none of us want to see people dying needlessly. Then it comes to how do we, you know, reach those goals It's pretty obvious from the evidence available, not only of our service, which is the longest service in the English-speaking world, but, you know, the 110-odd services that operate everywhere, it's pretty obvious that these services are effective, firstly, in terms of reaching a highly marginalised and highly at-risk group of people who are injecting drugs. It's very effective at stopping them dying, which we covered before, But the other crucial thing, and I would really encourage people to think about what this means, is that these are the very services which engage this at-risk population of people into treatment. So a core goal of my service is not just to somehow, you know, passively watch somebody inject and stop them dying and then do nothing else. It's absolutely a core, essential, integral part of my service is that people are engaged with counsellors and healthcare workers and provided with all sorts of information, encouragement and support in order to get into those treatment facilities. And we've got now over 16,000 episodes of of people accepting a referral that wouldn't have otherwise happened and at least half of those are for specialised addiction medicine treatments. So when you have um, a situation where people can develop a therapeutic relationship with key healthcare workers, and obviously all of the people that work in this service in Sydney are trained healthcare workers, if you can develop a therapeutic relationship with somebody, people are much more likely to accept your advice and support and much more likely then to get into these treatment services because again remember that's what all of us want we want people that need to be able to get into treatment to get there but if you're not making contact with these people as we know is often the case they're often literally slipping through the cracks and the first access to the health service they get is when they arrive in the emergency department and sometimes that's too late and they don't make it so if we can acknowledge that these services are reaching out they're basically a um, a bit of an outreach service. Obviously, they're a fixed site service, but in in their capacity to provide a low threshold services for some of the most at risk, most marginalised people. In effect, this is widening the gate and broadening our reach and making contact with many more people than would otherwise ever have occurred 
and specifically for referring those people into treatment. And, you know, we know the statistics from our centre, not just in terms of absolute numbers of people being referred into treatment, but when we look at the relationship between how often people attend and their likelihood of accepting an offer of assistance or an offer of um, a referral into treatment. The more often we see someone, there's a direct correlation with them being more likely to accept um, offers of referrals into treatment. And that's about the development of a therapeutic relationship. That's about developing a sense of trust with the health workers that are sitting beside them and accepting them for who they are, but then gently encouraging them and enabling them and empowering them to make some different decisions and some different choices in life and get them into treatment. Just quickly, where would you suggest listeners can go if they want to learn more about the Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre? So our website is just www.uniting.org forward slash MSIC, which stands for Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, and that'll take you to our homepage. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You just heard Dr. Marianne Jauncey, Medical Director of the Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre in Kings Cross, Sydney. This week, we're looking at medically supervised injecting centres and the upcoming trial of a centre in North Richmond, Melbourne. This is Jane, a drug overdose peer educator at Harm Reduction Victoria. My name's Jane. I work for Harm Reduction Victoria, which is the Victorian drug user organisation, and my role is drug overdose peer educator, which gets shortened to the dope worker, which is a pretty cool title, I think, anyway. (laughs) In your work as a drug overdose peer educator, what do you feel are the main factors in preventing overdoses? The main factors, I mean, education. It goes back to education in the beginning. People need to be able to make um, sensible choices with their drug use. But preventing overdoses, we need to really raise naloxone um, awareness and we need to get more naloxone out there and more so we need to remove the barriers that are in place for people getting naloxone. Naloxone aside, it's education and we need to address some of the stigma and discrimination that perhaps would prevent somebody from wanting to call an ambulance or respond to an overdose. What impact do you feel the medically supervised injecting centre in North Richmond will have for drug users? Okay, well, I mean, it hasn't actually opened yet. I mean, we'll Mm. we'll have to wait and see what an evaluation tells us. Um, It's not a magic bullet, but it's one of many important harm reduction initiatives that are going to save lives. It's going to save lives, and, and I think that's what makes it important, whether it saves one life or it saves a thousand lives but it's going to make a difference in that particular geographical area. You know, if it's successful, the impact could be greater in the sense of we'll get other injecting rooms open in the country. But, yeah, it will save lives. That's the impact I feel it will have. You know, there are gateway services that are going to be attached to it for for people for further referrals and things like that. But if you're talking about the initial impact, it's, it's going to save lives and you just can't argue with that. No, and it does seem to be a conversation that's been going on for a long time as well. In terms of the voices of injecting drug users, do you feel like those voices are being heard in the conversations around resources like medically supervised injecting centres? Yeah, look, I do. Um, But at the end of the day, it's going to be, it's a medically supervised centre, so the doctor's and the people that run it are going to have the biggest say. It's it's nice to hear voices and, um, you know, 
the people that are going to be running the service there have definitely put the word out and consulted with drug users in the area about it. But, you know, I just feel a bit sad that at the end of the day, it's going to be the, the doctors that get to make the rules mm. or things that are going to be, you know, implemented in the service. Do you feel like autonomous or more peer-based services are the most effective? Yeah, oh, look, I'm a huge advocate for peer-based services. I mean, you know, there's, they work no matter what we're talking about. You know, unfortunately, drug use is illegal. So if we're talking about peer drug users, you know, there's that element of there's an illegality there, yeah? But um, peers, drug users listen to other drug users and... Um, it just works. It really does. I mean, there's so much research to back it up these days. I just think there needs to be more of it. And that's not to say that we don't have medically trained people that appears as well. And there's a whole different aspect to look at that way. And uh, taking into account that peer-based perspective as well, what is the most inaccurate narrative about injecting drug users that you encounter in your work? And I mean, how would you dispel that? There's so many. There's too many. You couldn't even start to make a list. Where drug users are people, we're all individuals. You can't put us into a category. So um, I think what hap- needs to happen, the stigma and discrimination towards injecting drug users needs to be addressed and then other things will fall into place then and get rid of the myths and the narratives. It's just unfortunate that the people that... The drug users that people notice are people that are not coping very well or are having a hard time or are in a crisis. For every one of those people we see, there's you know thousands of other people that are using drugs without incident and the only way that you would know they were using drugs is if they told you they were. Yeah, we need to dispel the stigma. We need more people to actually be brave enough to say that they are a drug user yeah. because we exist. We're everywhere. <laughs> We just need to encourage all services. Take a client-centred approach into all your design. I mean, it's really good that users have been consulted for this particular purpose too, as far as the design of the building. But, you know, like I said before, at the end of the day, it comes back to um, legislation and and restrictions on licences and and medical staff running a joint that'll be the decision-makers. In terms of... HR Vic and what you do. If listeners want some more information or are potentially interested in accessing the services, where, where can they go for more information about okay. Harm Reduction Victoria? The good old internet. <laughs> We've got a, a pretty comprehensive website. Um, it's at www.hrbic. That's hrvic.org.au. Um, people can also ring our service. We've got um, it's nine three two nine one five double zero. And um, just about all the staff here can help with most issues that people call about. And people call us all the time just to ask questions, perhaps that they're too embarrassed to ask someone else or people like the fact that they're on a phone and they don't have to identify themselves because they might want to ask a question that they think's a bit dodgy or things like that. Um, yeah, I actually enjoy those phone calls because they're always, always a new issue that comes up on the phone so we also have the PAM service which is for people on pharmacotherapy so um, a lot of people ring up organising that sort of stuff and by pharmacotherapy I mean methadone and suboxone so um, get on our website though that's the best way to um, find out what we're all about yeah and that's for people in Victoria yeah we're statewide
That was Jane, a drug overdose peer educator at Harm Reduction Victoria. Next, we'll hear from Judy Ryan of Victoria Street Drug Solutions, a residence group who've advocated strongly for the trial medically supervised injecting centre in North Richmond. I'm Judy Ryan and I'm Secretary of the Residence for Victoria Street Drug Solutions. There's been an important announcement regarding a trial of a medically supervised injecting centre in North Richmond. Would you like to speak a little bit about that? I'd love to. So this is a decision that obviously was um, our main objective. Some key things have happened, Emma, and one of them was the, uh, the street art that we commissioned, our group commissioned back in August in um, a side street in Abbotsford. If your listeners haven't seen it, it's well worth looking at. Uh, it's right next to the Hive Shopping Centre. And that was, it, it had You Talk, We Die. And that was um, a reference to the fact that, you know, whilst our MPs were prevaricating on this life and death issue, people were actually dying in the street. So that had a really major impact uh, and then and the other event that happened soon after that was our March to Save Lives rally, which was attended by probably some of your listeners, but 700-plus um, people turned up on a freezing cold morning uh, walking down Victoria Street, North Richmond. It was just an amazing healing experience for our community. Um, we had a, a smoking ceremony just to try and bring everybody back to base. We had beautiful speakers, keynote speakers who had, you know, experienced tragedy in their lives in relation to injecting drug deaths. And um, the, the community really came together. And so those two recent events were the culmination of months and months and months of work by this core group of residents. But um, it had a major impact on our on, on Spring Street and the and the MPs and the Premier who realised how passionately people felt about this issue. So in many respects, we're not surprised. We It's just come a bit earlier than we thought, but um, it, it's the right thing to do. I know it, there's never, a, there's never a, the right time to do it, but, you, you know, politicians can argue that, you know, they don't have the money or it's not the time or they didn't promise it at the last election, but with this issue... The Premier announced that there will be a trial of a supervised injecting centre in, in um, North Richmond in June. And he changed his mind because he consulted experts, he looked at the data and he listened to residents. And I think good on him for changing his mind. So what does the trial actually mean for North Richmond? What What is going to be trialled and how is that going to work? Can you provide some details around that? Sure. Well, look, um, I, I, the actual details of the legislation, as I suggested, are still being uh, finalised. But basically it means that people who are injecting currently injecting drugs in public places um, throughout North Richmond and Abbotsford will have somewhere legal to go and inject drugs, which will be, they bring themselves into the centre. The centre doesn't provide drugs or sell drugs. So people have to take their drugs in there and it's actually legal to inject or inhale or whatever, supervised. Supervised by nurses who can look after you if you do overdose. Um, Now, there's only one other place in Australia that you can legally inject or inhale drugs. Uh, and that's in Sydney. 
And Sydney's been running for 16 years. Uh, it was set up under special legislation and it's been a huge success. I've been up there to see it myself. It's a remarkable place. Mm. And, I mean, what impact do you feel this will have on the community in Richmond? Look, um, based on what I've heard from people like who lived in King's Cross when that centre was opened, within weeks, the whole amenity of the area had improved. So where we currently have people slumped, people sort of hiding in, hiding in areas to, you know, discreetly inject because it's illegal, those people will be no longer in our laneways. They will be in, in the centre, along with syringes and swabs and bottles of water, which they use to, you know, mix up their, their powder... Um, the little orange caps, there's yellow plastic, you know, disposal units. Um, just, uh, I suppose, the human waste that goes with overdoses. Um, and just that sense of tragedy and sadness that is injecting drug addiction. So, look, I think, Emma, the impact that it will have on the community will be extraordinary. In fact, I think some people just don't understand how... Uh, far-reaching it will be Mm. in a very positive sense. So if listeners are um, interested in becoming involved in the campaign or simply want to express their support for the trial medically supervised injecting centre, what's the best thing for them to do? Well, look, a really practical thing would be to contact their MP and just say congratulations to the the government for doing this and we're watching and we're going, you know, we're going to be noting with interest how this goes. If you happen to have a a Liberal or a National Party MP say to them that you support the Supervised Injecting Centre and you will always vote for somebody that, you know, supports it. So, you know, we just don't want it closed at the whim of a, of a new government. We have a website, which is www.vicstreetdrugsolutions.org, which people can visit, and we put information about our forums on that site. And we're also on Facebook, which is Victoria Street Drug Solutions on Facebook. So like us. I think we're up to about 1,500 likes, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, just um, talk to people about it. Um, we, You know, we have forums. If you would like to receive an invitation from us, you could always leave a message on our um, Facebook page. Please contact me, perhaps an email or just watch our Facebook page for information about the next forum. That was Judy Ryan of residence group Victoria Street Drug Solutions. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.